Once again, we're in the book of 1 John as we continue our study there. and John is always circling back. That's one thing about the Christian life that if you've been on this journey very long, we're always coming back. John is always returning to the same well. We sing the same songs about redemption. We read the same Bible passages. We pray the same prayers. We as Christians need to be reminded over and over and over again that there's just, there's just one well, right? And we bring our empty buckets to that well, hopefully daily, and we drop our buckets down into that well that is Christ Jesus, and we drink. So John understands that. John understands there's, there's nothing new, that every day we need to be reminded of what Christ has done for us. Every day we need to be reminded of God's great love that He's shown us. Every day we need to be reminded that God is love, and unless God steps into our world, there's no hope for us. So that's what John is doing. He's continually reminding us over and over again, and you'll see that as we continue through the book of 1 John. It's like he just continues to circle back around and talk about God's love, or circle back around and talk about obedience to the Lord. Socrates was that famous Greek philosopher from Athens, and his worldview on life, that he felt like that if people only knew the truth, if people knew what justice was, if people knew what was right, that they would be able to do it. So he felt like his worldview, his view of the world was that if people just knew what was right, they would be able to accomplish it or they would do it. So sort of his worldview is that people just needed the right information, that people just needed to know what was right and they would be able to accomplish that. You can see a lot of that in Western philosophy. He, he really influenced our culture a lot because a lot of times we think the issue of the human race, we think the issue is, right, education. Or we, or we think that the issue is, is medicine. Or we think the issue is a knowledge. And there is some truth to that, that we have to know the truth, that we have to know what is right. But Socrates just assumed that we would have the power and the ability to carry out that righteousness or carry out that justice. But John doesn't see it that way. John understands that there's a deeper problem in the human race. He understands that there's a, there's a deeper root. That we not only have to know and hear the truth, but we have to be able to do what is right. We have to be able to do. Sorian Kierkegaard said this. He was a famous Danish philosopher. And he said, the real question is not whether people can be good without God, but the twofold question and problem is this. Why so often do we know what is right and yet we do not carry it out? And what do we do about that failure? So Kierkegaard said, it's not a question of whether we can do good without God. The question is, how is it that we as people, right, we know what is right, we know what is good, but we continue to fail to carry it out. Even if you have your own standards, even if you make your own laws, you can't keep them. He says, what do we do with that failure? What do we do with that brokenness? That we can, we can set up our own convictions, we can set up our own truths, and we can't even keep those truths. See, John understood that. He understood that, again, there was a much deeper issue and we know that. If we look at the, the genocide in Rwanda, if we look at the Holocaust, 
right? The Germans are smart people. Germans aren't dummies. They're smart. They're educated. It makes us understand that John's right. There's a deeper issue going on. And so John starts off here in the positive and he says, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. That because we've experienced God's love, because we have experienced Christ, because we have experienced the new birth, that we ought to love each other, right? That we ought to do good to each other. See, John knew that the hallmark of the Christian life is is love. That's how the world will know that we belong to Christ is because we love one another. John also knew that it was a watershed. It's the watershed between the believer and the unbeliever that we are able to love one another because we know the Lord. But there's a problem, right? Paul says that he knew the good he ought to do, but he couldn't carry it out. So we know that we should love one another. And according to Socrates, if we know that, then as people, he thought that we had the ability to carry it out, but John knows that we cannot. And that's the reason John over and over again brings us back to Jesus. And he brings us back to Jesus. And he brings us back to Jesus. Because Jesus is the only one who can love as we ought to love. He also tells us what love is in verse 16. He says, By this we know love, that He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. John Owen put it like this. He said, The duties God requires of us are not in proportion to the strength that we possess in ourselves. Rather, they are proportional to the resources available to us in Christ. In other words, we don't have the ability in ourselves to accomplish the least task that God gives us. This is the law of grace. You hear that in Paul, right? You hear it in Paul in 1 Corinthians 15.10 when Paul says, By the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace to me is not without effect, right? And Paul says, no, but I I worked harder than anybody else worked. I was the greatest evangelist to ever live. And then Paul comes back and says, but you know what? It wasn't me. It was God's grace working in me. So John understands that. And he wants the church that he's writing to to understand, yes, there is a call to love one another. That is the hallmark of the Christian faith. But that can only happen if we keep our roots. That can only happen if we continually remind ourselves of what Christ has done for us. You see, our root must be in Christ. Jan Kakarski, I don't know if you even know the name, but it's coming up on his 20th anniversary of his passing away, but He was the man who basically made known to the Allies in America what was going on in Poland and what was going on in Europe during the Holocaust. He was in the Polish army and he was captured. Somehow he got loose and he posed and disguised himself and would go into the concentration camps. He would go into the ghettos at Warsaw and there he made a promise to the Jewish community that he was going to make known to the Western world, what was going on there in order to get help. 
But he came to the Allies. He came to America. He got here. No one believed him. No one believed that the atrocities that were happening, they thought he was over-exaggerating what was going on. And the reason is, is they couldn't understand the depth and the depravity of the human heart. And John knows that we are the same way that often we don't really believe we need a Savior. We, we, we sort of need some medicine, or maybe we need a sort of hand up, but we don't, we don't need anyone to rescue us from our depravity. But no one had to convince Jan Karski of that. He'd been an eyewitness, he'd seen it. Just like John at the cross, John understood that the only way that we could love one another is that the God of love entered into our chaos, entered into our sin, entered into our brokenness, and caused us to be born again. So after putting it in the positive, John comes back just a verse later and he's going to put it in the negative, right? He says, don't be like Cain. Don't be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. You guys know the story of Cain and Abel? Abel was a keeper of the sheep. Cain was a keeper of the garden. It says over time that Abel came and he brought a sacrifice to the Lord. And God was pleased with Abel's sacrifice. And it goes on to say that later on, Cain would bring his sacrifice to the Lord and the Lord rejected because Cain came under Cain's way. He didn't humble himself and come to Christ. He didn't humble himself and come to God. But he came in the manner that he wanted to come. And it says, why did he murder Abel? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. You see, if we don't mortify sin, if we don't kill sin on a daily basis as Christians, if we don't put to death our sin continually, then our sin will put us to death. I know we don't talk about sin a lot. Sometimes in the church we should talk about it more and more and more. Because as Christians, if we don't put to death those things that are not like Christ, if we don't put to, put to death the jealousy, the envy, then it will put us to death. You see, Cain, as God addressed Cain, this is what He said to Cain. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why are you downcast? If you do well, you'll be accepted. If you do right, you'll be accepted. And if you do well, but if not, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master and rule over it. See, what Cain, I don't know that he understood, is that sin is predatorial. Sin's not passive. Sin's trying to kill you, Christian. Every day, sin is trying to kill you. 
Cain didn't believe that. So Cain did not put sin to death, and sin began to boil in his own heart. The jealousy and the envy. And he killed his brother Abel. He planned and killed his brother Abel. Not because Abel was a bad person, right? We could probably understood that. But he killed Abel because Abel was righteous. Because Abel did what was right and what was good and what was pure. And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. What, is that? what does Cain say? Does he, does he hide in shame like Adam and Eve? At least Adam and Eve were shamed, right? At least they were hiding in fear and shame. At least they understood that they had broken God's law, that they had violated God's holiness. Not Cain. Does he tell God, am I, am I my brother's keeper? There's no humility there's no repentance, even, even when confronted with the murder of his brother. There's no remorse. There's not even remorse, much less repentance. You see the Gospels here, right? Hebrews 10 tells us that we have an elder brother. But our elder brother is not like Cain. See, Cain killed Abel instead of rejoicing in the grace and the righteousness and the goodness of God's work in his brother's life. Cain killed him because Cain loved darkness more than he loved light. Cain was not willing to bend the knee to God's kingship. See, Cain was jealous. He was jealous for his own glory. He was jealous for his own fame. His pride and evil. He was willing to sacrifice another. He was willing to sacrifice another innocent person in order to get what he wanted. Right? He was the elder brother. He was the older brother of Abel. but not our elder brother, right? Jesus, the righteous one, right? The one that deserved glory. The one that deserved to be lifted up. The one that deserved to be honored and glorified. Humbles himself, right? Humbles himself. And instead of spilling someone else's blood, he spills his own blood on our behalf. He pours out his own blood so that we might have righteousness. So that we may gain the treasures of God. See the gospel there? There's those who follow Cain. There's those who follow Christ. And those who follow Christ should love one another. Because Christ has loved us. Not with words, but with His own blood. Jesus gives life. Cain takes life. Cain is full of strife. Jesus is full of peace. Jesus gives up everything so that he might rescue us. Cain will give up nothing. And he will kill and destroy to have. You might ask, what does this have to do with the church? I mean, I can probably say that 
If our church goes on for the next hundred years, none of you will probably murder another, right? So what does this passage have to do with God's church? Well, it's the why. Why did Cain kill Abel? It was jealousy, right? It was not getting what someone else had. Think about that in the church. Right? We live in a community, right? That we want to see one another grow and flourish and become more and more like Christ. But what happens sometimes in our humanity, right? I see Zach maybe sharing his faith with two or three people and maybe I'm not sort of measuring up. Instead of rejoicing in that, jealousy begins to rise. Or I see someone doing and being more like Christ than I am. Instead of rejoicing in that, pride and envy begins to flourish. You see, the same root that led Cain to murder Abel is the same root that is in each of our hearts. Sure, Christ has given us new hearts. But that sin sort of still hangs around. And a part of our sanctification is we must put it to death, church. If we're going to love one another well, if we're going to rejoice in one another's sanctification, if we're not going to be the church that is always comparing ourselves to one another, first, we have to understand who we are in Christ. We have to understand that Christ has loved us Fully and completely. And even when you're not measuring up, God loves you. So we first of all have got to preach the gospel to one another continually. And we've got to be humble. Not like Cain, not proud, but humble and say, Hey Maddie, you're good at praying. Will you teach me how to pray? Hey Lee, you're good at memorizing scripture. Will you teach me how to memorize scripture? But you can't do that if you think you're trying to earn and approve God's favor. You can only do that when you know that you're rooted in Christ. You're rooted in His unconditional love. You can only do that when you know that Christ has paid it all and that God has given you all of His love and all of His heart and all of His affections and all of His acceptance. It is then and only then that you can love one another well. Often in the church, we don't love each other like that because we're not rooted in the gospel. Because we really don't believe that we're like Cain, right? We don't really believe that we're sons of Adam. We don't really believe that we're like those people in Rwanda. We don't believe that we're capable of things like that. But the gospel says you are. And the gospel says, but God loved you anyway. And that God caused you to be born again into a living hope so that you might love others as He has loved you. See, if we're not careful, we'll, we'll see others that are, maybe they're flourishing better than we are and begin to nullify what they do, right? We'll begin to sort of pick their life apart and try to find what we can instead of rejoicing Instead of coming around them and saying, I'm so thankful for what God is doing in your heart, would you pray that God will do that in my heart? 
Verse 13 goes on. It says, Don't be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. Think about it. Don't be surprised that the world hates you for doing good. Like, that shouldn't surprise you. It shouldn't surprise you that those who are followers of Cain, that those who are sons of Adam's hate you because of your righteousness. Think about Jesus. He didn't just do righteous things. He was the righteous one. And why did the Pharisees kill him? The same reason Cain killed Abel, because they were jealous. They were jealous for their own glory. They were jealous for their own fame. They were jealous for their own recognition. So they killed the Son of God. Church, if we do not believe that the root of the Pharisee is in each of us, we have no need for the gospel. We have no need to tell one another our only hope is Jesus. The gospel is the aroma of life to those who are being saved. But to those who are perishing, it's the aroma of death. But in saying that, church, if the world is going to hate us, then may it hate us because of our love for one another. May it hate us because of our love for them. Not, not because we're judgmental and critical and always pointing out what they're doing wrong, but may they hate us because we love them so well. Because the goodness of Christ rubs up against them so well that they can't get away from it. They have to acknowledge that God is righteous and that Jesus is King. The passage goes on and says that we know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brothers. That we know that we have passed from the land of Cain to the land of Christ because we're able to love one another. Listen at 1 John 4, 7-12. through 12. It says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be a propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us. And His love is perfected in us. Isn't that good? Isn't that good to understand that the only way that we're capable of loving each other is because God has poured His love into us. Like, Christians should be the most humble people on the planet. But unfortunately, we're not sometimes. Right? And John doesn't want us to run away and have a pity party. John wants us to go back to the gospel and he wants me to preach the gospel to myself again until I'm humbled. And when I don't take my sin seriously, John doesn't want to condemn me. He wants me to go back to the gospel and he wants me to preach the gospel again to myself until I understand the holiness of God and what Christ had to accomplish because of my sin. 
and then I begin to hate sin. And when I'm jealous, God doesn't want me to beat myself up. He wants me to go back to the gospel, and He wants me to see the humility of Christ. He wants me to see the love of God, and that that would destroy the jealousy in my heart, that I would want Christ to be exalted and be honored. I would repent of my jealousy, and I would love you guys well, and you would love me well. You see, if you don't keep going back to the gospel in the Christian life, you'll never make it. You'll never make it. You'll just become religious, moralistic, but you will never become desperate. And the gospel is made to make us desperate. The Ten Commandments were given to make us desperate. The Beatitudes are given to us to make us desperate because we know we can't do that. John says, love one another. And we throw our hands up and we say, we can't do that without Jesus. God, give us Jesus. God, give us Jesus. God, give us Jesus. Verse 15, as we close. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Does that mean that no one can go to heaven who murders someone? Well, I know a couple who are there. Paul, Moses. So this gospel that we preach, this Jesus that we lift up, this message that John keeps going back to, it can cover murder. You know that? It can cover genocide. Like that's how big Christ's sacrifice is. But it won't cover you if you come like Cain. Right? Proud. Unrepentant. No need of Christ. But no matter what you've done, sinner, if you come to Christ, Jesus, save me. Christ will cover you. Let's pray together.